somebody doesn't like you for you being yourself is because they actually feel contained. They feel caged. And so they want to contain you. I think obviously there's there's room to be yourself and still give space for everybody else. Finding that balance is 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 always gonna be a challenge. the first time to let it out. I'm Katie and I feel a bit rusty because we took a brief hiatus a couple weeks off, but I'm back with a brand new episode, a conversation with musician, songwriter, poet, Courtney Marie Andrews. If you haven't listened to her music yet, go listen to her most recent album, Old Flowers, or some new singles from her new album, Loose Future. I love the names of the album so much. I love the music so much. And I really loved having a conversation that went in so many different directions with Courtney. She's really, really cool. We talked about her writing process. We talked about focus. She mentioned something that she does called chunk writing. We both happen to be only children of single parents, latchkey kids. So we get into that quite a bit. And she talks about starting her music career and hitchhiking on trains and walking with only her Birkenstocks and cowboy boots in her bag. And we talk about how we both love walking so much and being pedestrians. She started touring up and down the West Coast. She's from Arizona, as you'll hear. And she has really, you know, been making music ever since. And I hope that you either are already a fan and enjoy this conversation or stop right now and go listen to some of her music. And you should go see her on tour. She's probably coming to a city near you. And as you'll soon hear, she's a really special, wise person. Oh, in her poetry book, I just bought it for a friend, actually. It's called Old Monarch. And it's beautiful. I love the cover. And well, you'll hear. Here's my conversation with Courtney. Stick around at the end. I have a couple good housekeeping announcements, but I'll give you one right now. If you listened to the last episode and you heard about the workshop class supportive group (laughs) that I started in 2020 called Creative Underdogs and I renamed to be called In Process, it's coming back. I'm revising it and bringing it back. And if you want to join the waitlist or it's a real extension of this podcast. So if you like this, you'll love that. If you hate this, you'll hate that. But the waitlist, the link to sign up is in the show notes. And if you need anything, you know where to find me. But thank you so much for being here. And here's my conversation with Courtney. Well, truly, I'm so happy to be here with you. You're on the East Coast right now. You've been on tour with Wilco? Yeah, yeah. I just did about a week of shows with Wilco. 
uh, around the Midwest. It was beautiful. <laughs> oh, nice. Are you still in the Midwest? No, no. I'm actually, I'm back home now. I live in Nashville, Tennessee oh, right cool. now. Nice. Yeah. How long do yeah. you get off before you go back on the road? I actually leave tomorrow morning. <laughs> <laughs> so like 10 yeah. seconds. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, you know, little, little 48 hour rest. Yeah. Weekend. <laughs> Good for you getting the car maintenance done during that time. <laughs> I know. Well, actually, funny enough, the car broke down in um, Interlock in Michigan. Oh, <laughs> no way. So I'm actually running a car tomorrow to go pick it up. You know, I knew the place was really beautiful and I wanted to come back. I didn't realize it was going to be so soon that I'd be back up there. <laughs> oh, well, that's funny because I'm actually from Michigan. So I, I, I live in LA now, but I, I, Grew up in East Lansing, Michigan. I don't know if it's a small college town in the middle, but we have a mutual friend who's also from Michigan. I realized in preparing this, we have a couple actually, because I, I was watching you cook flatbread with Sam Evian in what this video I like on my wormhole, which it was such a delight spending time with you and your poems and your music and reading articles and interviews. It was so wonderful preparing for this these last 48 hours while you've been dealing with your car. I've been, you know, <laughs> listening to your albums talked about. It's been lovely. But I saw this video of you because Sam was in, in town. He had a show in my neighborhood the other day. And I was like, oh, cool. You were you, I watched this video of you performing with him. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. And then Next thing I know, you're cooking flatbread on the grill. I didn't even know that one could make flatbread on the grill. And I think you were recording your last album, Old Flowers, during quarantine with Sam. Is that maybe... Do you remember making that meal? <laughs> oh, so actually, I made Old Flowers with this producer, Andrew Sarlo. But I made my new record, Loose Future, um, with Sam uh, in Upstate. And... You know, it's funny about that flatbread. I also didn't know you could cook flatbread on <laughs> That was literally because Chris Bear, the drummer of Grizzly Bear, he played on my new record, Loose Future. He is, he and Sam are both, you know, all-time chefs. <laughs> I mean, they could probably own restaurants. They're both so good at cooking. I purely, I might have thrown one on, but really my duty was the margaritas because I was a bartender for oh. years. My contribution to that, that meal was actually <laughs> a cocktail. Well, that is so, no small thing. A good margarita yeah. <laughs> goes a long way. <laughs> <laughs> it does. And my family has a pride, I would say, in making the best margarita. It's, it's Ooh, a thing. Is there a family secret that you feel comfortable sharing is there are we going to get an exclusive yeah. margarita tip <laughs> well my aunt has one that everybody in the family really likes i've kind of twisted it around a little bit because i'm more of a kind of natural i don't like to use like store-bought pre-made or anything like that even the lime juice so i'll squeeze my own limes and lemons and do it's two parts mezcal <laughs> one part lemon lime and honestly that's that's the secret maybe a little agave like a splash of agave it's really simple mine's really simple but theirs has like triple sec and or, or orange contro they put a bunch of other stuff that i kind of like just like a simple a simple yeah. <laughs> that's so funny because my my really good friend here he loves martini mm -hmm. and i 
don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what I always order when when he gets that is like I I don't know what to call it, but I need to like get it a little tighter when I order this. Maybe you can give me advice on this actually. What I order is essentially that, but I like to get it in a I call it the glass the old fashioned comes in, like one of those short glasses. And yeah. I but you it's like that. It yes. You want a margarita up. Yes, but I guess I don't really want a margarita because the way I order is I say mezcal, ice, a bunch of lime, splash of soda water, which is kind of long. It's kind of wordy. You know, it sounds like it's a complicated (laughs) drink when it's really not. So I don't know. Margarita, I guess, which I don't want to say that really either. Yeah, I know. That that also sounds... (laughs) <laughs> but a lot of bars call it that, yeah. unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, oh, that this means doesn't a- have a bunch of crap in it. <laughs> yeah, which is fine. I just I don't I don't love that word. Yeah, well, pe- we can word. workshop this. We can. Yeah, we- <laughs> I understand the power of language, and that feels like mean. Like, yeah, mean yeah, <laughs> vaguely fat phobic, vaguely yeah. not really what I'm what I'm after. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it sounds like we have a similar. Next time we'll have to do this over a I'm not gonna say that name, but maybe I'll maybe I'll call the Courtney Marie Andrews and at least in my own yeah. mind. <laughs> yeah. How about just the the um the fresh, the fresh. Yeah. Ooh, yeah, that's great. I love that. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> there's something to it. I don't want all the other stuff in there. And I love Mezcal and and I feel like the reason I equate it to the Martini is that the simplicity of of that drink, which a margarita could be so varied. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's cool. I'm I'm happy to know your drink and that bread can be made on a grill. And then that what I was going to say. Speaking of Michigan, our other mutual friend who's also from Michigan, Marley, who's done Marley Grace. She's done this podcast twice, and I realized that she was in and choreographed one of your music videos that I loved so much. And I heard you tell the story about the older woman dancing in it. And actually, you know, speaking of when you were a bartender, could you tell that story and and what shooting that video was like with her? Well, Marley, I just have to say is, I mean, you've obviously had her on our show, so you know, but, and she's a friend of yours, but she's just such a gem of a human. So wise and so incredibly great at everything she puts her her heart into truly Um, yeah she's one of the best one of my favorite guests that i've ever had on this show too and just such a great conversationalist and yeah love letter to marley (laughs) yes love letter to marley and mezcal that'll be the title of this (laughs) (laughs) we're hopping we're hopping (laughs) yeah yeah she's amazing i actually met her because the director of that video v who is just this wonderful director um, kind of was like, Oh, I, I know this choreographer that, cause I really, I really wanted to incorporate dance into this video. And she's like, I know this choreographer, Marley, let's have, let's have her on. And we did this beautiful dance. And my friend, Jen, who ended up being the producer for the video gave me a recommendation. Her daughter is the little girl in the video whose mm. name's, Emmy Lou, who's just an absolute star. <laughs> and then uh, my friend Jen was like, there's this woman named Kate. She's this kind of one of the last bead makers. She makes beads from scratch. These like Venetian style beads. Like she like hand 
draws in them. I don't know. They're wild. They're wild beats. But back in the day, she was in a Broadway musical called Oh Calcutta, which is one of the first, maybe the first all nude Broadway production. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. Like everyone in the production got nude. Pretty, pretty risky for the 70s. For sure. (laughs) And so there's all these beautiful photos in her house. Her name's Kate. So she had spent, Kate had spent a you know, great number of years in theater. And we just thought, oh, this this is the perfect person to <laughs> be in this video, even though she hadn't been on stage in two decades, maybe three. And but she just, she got right on camera and was just such a magnificent person to watch. Like her movements were so elegant and beautiful. And it was, we performed her parts. She performed her parts in this, old theater in Bisbee, Arizona, which is kind of derelict now. I think somebody just recently bought it and is going to maybe fix it up. But it's this beautiful kind of mid-century theater that, you know, nobody ever changed it. So it looks exactly like it did in the 50s and 60s. She danced in there and it was just this beautiful kind of moment. It kind of felt like you could put your time goggles on and be in a different era (laughs) for a moment Mm. kate is just this beautiful soul one of many in this little town i I frequent bisbee so yeah that's kate's story (laughs) oh i love that i thought for some reason i think it was another maybe it was something else someone that was a regular when you were bartending at the bar that you bartended at got to be in one of your music videos yes that's dancing debbie oh Yeah, so Dancing Debbie was one of my regular patrons at the Raging River Cafe in Fall City, Washington, and she'd order a tall vodka soda. That was her drink. (laughs) Um, And she was just this incredible force of a woman, just did not have a care in the world about what anybody thought and just was herself to the umpteenth degree, which I just loved so much and and anybody. And she would just dance, you know, we'd have bands play, she would be dancing alone, kind of doing crazy noodle dances and always putting music on in the jukebox. So I asked her to be a part of that video. I I obviously love to honor older women. Yeah, (laughs) which is great. (laughs) Yeah, I, I have to say just as a side note that I feel like in our culture, sometimes forgotten is the elder, the wise elder. And I put a lot of my, my curiosity and my healthy ignorance. I keep that, that space kind of for these, these women so they can teach me and I can ask questions and learn about their lives, you know, to guide my own. Those are the stories of the two women in my videos. <laughs> this came up in a couple of interviews that I was reading in the last week or so of of women who are we're the same age. I found out who are so I'll say our age talking about just noticing that of, of sort of clocking that the older that we get inching towards exactly what you're talking about, like women who are older, like wanting to honor them. And I think I loved that story. And I think you, when I heard you tell this in this live stream that I watched and she, she said something like, I'm going to be a star. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. So I asked when I asked her to be part of the video, you know, she, she has this very characterized voice. This is like this beautiful kind of speaking accent. 
where she's like, oh, Baba's like she kind of talks like that. Mm-hmm. And she's just like, oh, Baba's I'm going to be a star. <laughs> and I was like, hell yeah, you are. You're already a star. <laughs> you don't need to be in my video to be a star. <laughs> you made me so happy. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. Do you usually yeah. like the process of, of making videos? Do you like that part of your work? Because, you know, in the last couple of days watching all of your videos, I've, I've really enjoyed viewing them, but I'm, I'm curious how that feels because as a songwriter and performer, you have to wear so many hats that as a listener, I, I didn't consider until somewhat recently. It's And it makes it all so much more impressive. But is that a hat that you enjoy wearing? Yeah, I think I really enjoy concepting videos. Like I love, I love stories. So I love, you know, creating, cultivating a concept or a story. I, for the most part, have concepted all my videos. I always bring in directors because they are able to carve out and kind of whittle down these ideas to their essence. But yeah, I really enjoy that aspect of it, like creating a story or a vision to go along with music. I think, you know, I I just enjoy all of the creative process. Anything that allows me to sort of stretch any creative muscle is exciting to me. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I think you can make any aspect of your work creative when you are present, you know, I kind of think focus is, is sort of the most creative thing that, that anyone can do. How do you handle wearing so many hats creatively? You know, I know you're also a poet and a painter. How do you vacillate between projects and you do it? What looks like to me from the outside with so much poise and even within music, you know, as I was saying, like there's, there's a whole business aspect to it, which it seems like you might approach creatively or obviously collaborations that you've already mentioned. And there's just so many elements that I'm sure I'm not even aware of. How do you, yeah. How do you vacillate between each of those? How do you handle that? I do really well in sections of dedication. I'm not a very great multitasker. I mean, I think I'm okay, but I I prefer to have months of deep focus on one thing. And so I, I will tend to dedicate if I'm in songwriting mode. I'm most likely not painting as well. Even if I might do like a doodle, I'll, I'll keep it, the muscles going and that sort of thing. But for the most part, I, I kind of coined while I was talking to Marley, <laughs> this term that I call chunk writing. And that's kind of how I do all of my creative endeavors is in chunks. So I'll do two months of songwriting and that's all I'll do for two months. And then two months of painting and that's all I'll do for two months, two months of poetry writing. You know, it's very condensed to a time. And and like you said, it's it's focus. And if I'm scattered doing a million different creative endeavors in one time period, I, I notice that they all kind of suffer. I think just periods of focus on one thing is kind of how I've managed that. <laughs> and it works because you kind of get sick of one, not sick of it, but you lose perspective, I, I should say, a little yeah. bit when you're in it too deep. It's really interesting because I heard you talk about this in one of the the interviews I listened to when I was preparing. And it's something my friend Christine has spoken about before as well. I think actually, even when she did the show, but she's one of my most creative friends in general, but she also 
does so many different things very, very well. She's a brilliant ceramicist. She's an incredible photographer and she DJs. You know, just one of those people who just does so many things. So much like you in that way, Marley. And she was saying when she gets sick of one thing or feels like she's in a rut with one thing, she's really grateful that she can just do a different hobby or creative practice or whatever. And I I really like that as, as a concept of like, oh, wow, that's, that's such a privilege to be able to have so many different things that you touch creatively that you can switch between them. And then at the same time, I'm sort of having a watershed moment with what you're saying of, I think that's what I am craving creatively is to be able to linger somewhere for a while to chunk, as you say, right? Like that sort of focus, I think on the other side of that, to be able to live a creative life where I have the luxury to to focus on something without having to get knocked out of it as much, you know, I mean, but part of that is like, if, if I was really going there, it would be like, can I fly to Pluto and have an artist retreat so far away from any sort of distraction, which I don't know is possible for most people. And also that's a lot of pressure too. It might not, you might get yeah. there and it not even work. So it's just become a topic that's come up here so much, you know, focus, how to maintain it, how to find it. And then related to that is distraction, right? And like the fractures and focus, some of them are out of our control. Like, okay, you have to be a person in this world and and deal with some parts of living in capitalism or parts of being part of a family or friend group or, you know, existing. And then there are some, which is, this is the part that I've been really sitting with. There are some fractures of focus that I can eliminate or temporarily eliminate. And I heard you say, you know, social media is a big one of those. And I heard you say something about social media that particularly landed with me, or you were talking about taking breaks. And I think that's that's really good to recalibrate. And then, you know, you can go back more intentionally. I think it can be hard to go back into something when you've been off. And what I'm finding challenging about social media, though, is I can either be in my life or I can be there, but I can't really do both. And what you said, I'm going to read it because you said when you are on there, basically, you're not looking inward when you're on there all the time. You are just constantly emitting your energy out and not receiving anything back. It's like a leaking cup that never gets full. It feels full for a moment and then it sort of leaks back out. And I think it's really important for the creative process to slow down, say no to things that aren't necessary and really just tune in so much. Can you elaborate on that? Or or how do you remember to come back when your focus is fractured or related to that even? What are some distractions or ways that you are managing to maintain your focus. I think that one of the greatest kind of cures I found if I'm reaching for my phone in a moment of weakness or in a moment of need for connection is instead of reaching my phone to kind of go into this mindless scroll of the cog, I try and either one, read a poem because I'm wanting some sort of quick gratification and a poem is a great way to, to get that. It's short and you can digest it quickly or, or long, you know, you can ponder on it for a while if you need to. Or call a friend, text a friend, actually yeah. receive some sort of communication, human interaction back, because that's clearly what we're 
needing when we are getting on there or or you know a lot of people are needing uh to numb out to like not think about something so what can you do what would another version of numbing out be or 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 not thinking having some sort of simple meditation walking or hiking run something active doing the dishes it's it's so funny my my friend lola actually said something really funny and she's like remember when people used to just sit on the toilet and think (laughs) (laughs) or they had like magazines in there right and books yeah yeah, they were. Yeah, exactly. Magazines or books. They just thought about, you know, you're retaining some information, you're reading something interesting, you know, whether it be a gossip magazine or whatever. But it's it's interesting that in this kind of age, this modern world, a lot of people actually don't have their own answers to things. And the reason they don't have their own answers to things is because there's never any time, they, there's never any carved out time for them to produce, think about their own answers. And I think that's troublesome. You know, I'm also I'm guilty of it because I'm a part of this whole creation of this world right now. I'm a part of it as well. So we're all submitted and maybe victims and also a part of it. Yeah, finding ways to resist it without completely being isolated, because that's what it can feel like if you're really on the opposite end of that is is tricky. Finding these little moments to carve out these months, especially with writing, I, I really have to be turned off from it. It's just so distracting. With painting, you can sort of get sucked into this pole of painting for like eight hours straight. And there's such a focus with writing. You're like words, communication, thinking. That's like the number one hand in hand. It's kind of a, it goes along really well with social media is what I'm trying to say. Like, because it's a communication, right? It's yeah. in in a, in a word sense. So when I'm writing, I really have to shut it off. I have to have my management run it or just delete it from my phone because it is such a distraction. Yeah. Yeah. That that makes so much sense. And I think the pandemic probably kind of shifted, like you were saying, sometimes you might actually need the connection. I think at the peak of quarantine, it was probably a bit different. I think it's on my mind, to be honest with you, because I was listening to a lot of interviews and reading a lot of interviews around the time that Old Flowers, your your last album came out. And it was so wild to hear because it's only two years ago. And every interview, you know, sort of started as I'm so happy it did. And as I did here as well, talking about what was present, which was the music industry and and touring and and what it's gonna be like and what it was like for you to release an album during that time. And Not that I've forgotten already, but it it put me back into that space of what that was like, what it was like social media. And it's it's not lost on me how wild all of that is. And just being, you know, something else that that we share. We both entered our 30s in the thick of that time in the pandemic. But I think the age we are with engaging of social media, you know, we remember a time without it, but we've also had it significantly through our adulthood. And the other thing that I was delighted to find that that we relate in that is the opposite, I think, to social media and being on our phones. Perhaps one of my favorite things about you is that I also identify first and foremost, maybe as a pedestrian. And when I moved from New York, I was terrified that I would never walk again, but I end up spending a significant amount of my day walking. And so I was delighted to hear that 
you do as well. And you shared this article that you had read that's that's kind of old, actually. I think it's from 2014, I think. But it was this BBC article about purposeless walking. And I loved what you had to say about walking. So I was wondering if we could just sort of compare notes on it. Do you still find it cathartic? And is it something that is one of those things you were talking about that is the opposite of the numbness feeling? Walking has been one of the greatest healers for me. I've never been an amazing meditator. I think I have struggled with anxiety and stuff. And it's really hard for me to kind of turn off in that way and just purely meditate. I think that my cure-all for that has been walking. I'm able to think and meditate in a way that works for me when I'm walking. And I'm I'm definitely one of those walkers that walks in places other people are shocked by. Yeah, same. <laughs> like, my life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This neighborhood that I'm in is, some might consider it dangerous. I consider it to be a working class neighborhood and I don't really, I don't mind it. But some people might not want to walk in this this neighborhood. And I actively walk because there's several places that in my opinion, they're under two miles I can walk to. I walk 90% of the time if I'm going somewhere in this neighborhood that's under two miles, under three miles. Like, I just don't see the point in driving. And it's sort of my uh, protest in a way to this fast paced environmental protest, maybe in some ways too. But also, it's such a mental health yes. shifter. It's insane. And pre-pandemic, I can recall in high school, this is when I really started walking. I, I would hike actually in Phoenix, Arizona. I grew up in this valley surrounded by mountains. And I had been struggling with some drug use and some mental health stuff. And I just started walking like every day after school instead of doing other things that I could be doing. They were bad for me. And it was an absolute game changer. And it's always been my way of healing my mental health and my my state of mind. And all of my greatest epiphanies have all happened on walks. All of my greatest sort of ideas, a lot of them I can attribute to walks. This is making me so happy. And I, <laughs> I guess I've never spoken about walking on this podcast, which is wild because it's such a meaningful part of my life and and similarly walk in a, in a way you describe it you put words to that in a way i i hadn't before as it being a, a protest and and similarly with with places others perhaps wouldn't walk but i even i edit this show often while i'm walking like i'll write down timestamps and it you know it's very long and instead of being behind my computer the entire time i'm doing that i'll i i like to be active and and to your point you know ideas and you know when you're watching a movie and you're hungry and someone's eating something and then you see that and you're like suddenly craving that has that ever happened to you oh yeah Absolutely. <laughs> I'm feeling like that now. Like, I wish we were walking. <laughs> like, I know. <laughs> it's honestly, making me really happy. Honestly, if it weren't for like stable internet connection, because I have T-Mobile. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like, I would probably be walking during this. I know. You probably hear crazy things in the background. But God, I'm, I now have an idea for a podcast that should just be like, we get on the phone while we're walking and people will just have to deal with the natural sound. It's actually probably good for them. And they, and then people listening have to listen while walking. I know a lot of people do, I guess that's not different. Yeah. Maybe this is not a great, <laughs> see, I'm not walking. That's why this is not a good idea. <laughs> I'll, I'll workshop that in the next walk, but I've never gotten to do this. Cause I don't 
work out and I'm not able to compare notes in that way. But since we both are are walkers, what are your routines? Like what's your footwear situation? Like if you're walking not to a destination, do you go on the same path? Do you switch it up? What do you bring with you? Any gear? (laughs) My favorite thing, and this is why walking in my particular neighborhood has become an act of protest because it's really, I probably live in one of the least walking friendly neighborhoods, not at if not cities in America. <laughs> really, there's like no sidewalks here. The Nashville government is listening. Let's get some freaking sidewalks. My favorite thing, honestly, is to wake up in the morning and, and walk right away. It's my great sort of palate cleanser for the day. It gets me started. I just am able to to process, think about things. That's kind of my only routine. When I'm kind of craving more of a hike, a nature walk, I'll obviously drive somewhere because it's not the best in the city, you know, to, to be able to access that. But I'd say like five days out of the week, I'm getting up in the morning and, and walking just, just right when I get out of bed. And, and as far as footwear, I have no discrimination against footwear for walking. <laughs> uh, I've been walking in my Crocs for the nice. last couple of weeks, which are questionable. I accidentally got these like, uh, like really high heel Crocs, but like platform, uh, platform Crocs. I thought all Crocs were that size. And my friend's like, wow, you've got platform Crocs. And I was like, I didn't even mean to get these. So I've been walking in platform Crocs. I've had nicer footwear in the past. Blundstones, I rock my Blundstones a lot. Yeah. Uh, the natural footwear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's same. I don't have Crocs, but I, I might get a pair now because it sounds luxurious i and and growing two inches is kind of fun (laughs) i was walking a lot in my birkenstocks the the first summer i got to la which happened to be 2020 and so there's a lot of time for it and i like got a foot injury so now i'm like all right i gotta even if it's hot out i gotta put on the blundstones and or a pair of sneaks because i think some birkenstocks are great and like known to be comfortable but maybe the distances that for pedestrians like us <laughs> need to totally. be careful. Well, I think it's the biggest thing. Did it have a back? Did it have like a back harness? No, not at all. It was just a, your classic Burke. Okay. So that's the one thing I can't walk in my Crocs without the harness. Like mm. most Crocs have a back harness. Like you need to put the back harness. Cause I actually, it's funny. I did an entire tour in my early twenties by, by train. Actually I hitchhiked. And I walked, I didn't take a ta- one taxi for like wow. two months straight. I just, I would walk from the train station to the venue. It would be like anywhere from like a mile, to four miles or less. And the only two pairs of shoes I had, because I just had like a mountaineering backpack and my guitar with some merch and stuff, was a pair of Burks and cowboy boots, which I do not recommend for walking. <laughs> But I walked this entire... I'll send you a picture. It's so funny. I walked this entire tour in Burks. It's pretty amazing that I didn't injure myself. Wow. <laughs> but that was one thing I learned that they, they slip off and all sorts of things happen. So Yeah. I think it was the muscle like atrophy of kind of keeping it on your foot when it, yeah. you don't have, to your point, having the back thing. It just was like... We're we're good. We're all set. We're gonna we're gonna just not work for a minute. You've overused us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, let's go back to that time. So you started your career as a musician over a decade ago. You grew up around arts. I read that your mom is super creative. Your uncle is a painter. You mentioned it a little bit, but I'd love to hear a little bit more 
about what you were like as a teenager or even a preteen, like around the time you're you're mentioning or before that, that brought you to to starting to travel as a musician? I was a latchkey kid. My mother worked two jobs. She worked days at like an insurance company thing and then nights at Walmart. So by the time I was like seven years old, I was cooking myself dinner, walking myself home from school. I was a very highly independent person. And discovering music was like discovering a family member. Uh, it was just me. I didn't have any siblings. My mom and I lived with many of her friends growing up. She kind of had this cast of characters that always lived with us. A, a Buddhist named Rock Rogers taught me how to drive. It was my cool. mom's friend. Her other best friend helped raise me, Roger Johnson, who was an art teacher. And so I was raised with the constant kind of earworm of you should you should create, make some art. You get home from school, you're, you're alone, like make art, songs, write, write songs. And I was kind of raised by a village and discovered music in my teens in a big way. You know, I always really loved singing, but my uncle lived in Mexico, bought me this 30 peso guitar nylon string that he brought back from Mexico for me. Kind of started learning to play guitar on that. Then I found punk music, found out about Bikini Kill, started a feminist punk band in my teens with two other girls. And we decided we needed some songs. We couldn't just play Bikini Kill and Violent Femme songs all the time. So that's kind of how I started writing songs. So yeah, I had a very colorful, unique upbringing. <laughs> when I was really young, I, I discovered country music because my, my grandpa was a cowboy who had a little ranch outside of Phoenix in this little town called Tonopah. And he always had it on the radio. And my mother would take me to this saloon called Mr. Lucky's. And I would uh, had wood chip floor and they'd have karaoke competitions. And I, when I was like four or five, I'd go and try and sing. And there's a joke in my family that I never got lucky at Mr. Lucky's because I never won. Competition. <laughs> You'd get like 20 bucks and it was like based on the whose cheers were the loudest. Uh, I was really shy. So I, I wasn't dancing. All, all these all the other kids had like routines and I just kind of got up there with my hands in my pocket and hoped for the best. But, but yeah, lucky so, you now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of a short summary. Uh, there's lots of stories in there, but yeah. Wow. Yeah. I love that about, I was just with two of my friends. I, I too am a only child latchkey single mom situation. <laughs> and I was with two of my close friends here. It happened to also be one of us in that way. And my friend Stella was saying a real benefit of that is you kind of go everywhere with your parent, right? If you, if there's just one, right? You're kind of more likely to be around grown-ups and just go to different places. That's a real benefit. And is there anything else about being a only child? I think it kind of gets a bad rap, but is there anything that you found becoming an adult or, you know, people talk about birth order and I don't really actually know much about that, but is there anything that's resonated with you about that? Well, it's funny. I, I'd i say that like everybody's different. Being an only child obviously does get a bad rap. But being an only child who's a latchkey to a single parent is very different than being an only child to a two-parent family as far as birthing order goes. Because I feel like if you're a latchkey only child, you have this like kind of responsibility 
at a really young age, you have to create your own fun and you have to create a lot of stories and a lot of kind of daydreams to keep yourself company. And also, I, I think that your relationship to your friends is different. Yes. Like, yeah. Like my friends feel like, no, you're my sibling. Like, yes. You won't. Same. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're not going to go away. Like I'm just going to love you through this. <laughs> you know, like I really don't have any friend fallouts because I just truly, they're like my family. I'm like always willing to work on stuff with my very close friends because that's how close they feel to me. I deeply relate to that as well. I, w- I was just saying to the fellow only only children last night, like <laughs> kind of in a, in a funny moment, like, don't you just wish your friends were your siblings? Because I think we were talking about that. That is one thing, you know, the older we get, you don't, or even just when there's anything tumultuous growing up, there's no one who, I imagine having a sibling, you have someone to turn to, to be like, oh, isn't this wild? What's happening with our shared parent or in this house, you know, you don't have anyone to turn to, to know if it's wild even as a, as a kid, but then, you know, now to kind of, to who's known you throughout that. But I think the real upside is the love of friendship and importance of friendship. Absolutely. And, and actually speaking to that, I think maybe one of the dangers, the downside of, of growing up in the way that we did is that you can become a very good storyteller to yourself because there isn't anybody to reflect those thoughts of. So you just sort of make up a story. Don't even think about, I mean, I think a lot of us are great storytellers to ourselves, and that's, it's a cultural thing. Um, Brene Brown talks about it, (laughs) but I really resonate with that because I never thought, Oh, this happened. And this is my impression of what happened. And I just sort of accept that rather than saying it aloud and, Often when I do end up saying it aloud and, you know, I find out how great of a storyteller I can be to myself. And it's because there wasn't any other siblings to to be like, hey, am I imagining that mom or dad did this or what, you know, whatever? <laughs> or did this really happen? There's no one to reflect your experience off of. So you just have to sort of accept a lot of experiences. So how do you mean that it affects you now? Like, I don't actually know that bit of Brene Brown. So are you saying that now you have to sort of question when you have an experience of something, if you are feeling it, how it actually happened, or if you're projecting something, is that what you mean? Yeah. So if, if something happens and I feel a certain way about it, I just sort of accept it and I bottle it up. Right. And I'm finding that as I get older, that I think it's really beneficial to actually like voice your experience, even if it's negative, it's something you don't want to voice because it's really important to have society reflect it back at you or your friends reflect it back at you, I should say, your your loved ones, because it either can validate or show you a new sort of storyline. Obviously, in like therapy and stuff, feelings are valid no matter what. They happen. But sometimes I think we can stretch out or exaggerate things and tell our tell ourselves these stories about things that happened that aren't necessarily in line with what actually happened. This is really hitting me hard. I, I just <laughs> kind of like uncovered something about myself. I send a lot of voice texts on those long walks. And when I don't do that, when I go into periods of feeling, you know, this this show is called Let It Out because I think I tend to only child exactly what you described to hold it in. And, and one thing I, I always remember Brene Brown saying is that shame can exist when you share it. You know, it starts to dissipate. And I do find that when I'm not sending friends 
voice texts of what happened or calling calling friends and and talking about what's going on with me or putting that somewhere that starts to become a story in my head. It's almost like a dream where I'm unsure what's real. And I think you just... How much do I owe you for this? This is the <laughs> therapy. <laughs> do I, I'll no, just, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's so real. I'm, I'm definitely like... I have this... It's funny. I have this group text of girlfriends, right? Yeah. And everybody in the text thread is like, saying exactly their day and what's happened in their lives and sharing in this beautiful, abundant way. And I'm notoriously the friend that doesn't do Mm -hmm. that. (laughs) Like I'm so much more inclined to keep it in um, and save it for the song, save it for the art. Um, That's what I've always said, save it for that. But it's like, you can share those things and still have plenty for your art. (laughs) But there is something really beautiful about having what you share be reflected back at you. It doesn't mean that you have to be completely receptive to everybody's opinions about what you should do or just simply saying it without asking for anything is something that's very validating. As soon as you say it out loud and the story becomes very obvious, yeah. uh, whatever it is, uh, <laughs> I found like when I say it out loud, I'm like, I can, I can really gauge how much I built this story up. Right. Or yes. how small it really is, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's very cathartic and validating sometimes. And sometimes it's completely opposite of what you think, or, you know, I, I had an experience that was vaguely me too-y and it was it was a while ago but I said it in a way that was pretty nonchalant in the way I voiced it to a friend and their response was so upset and I was very much not expecting that that I Mm -hmm. realized I didn't I was doing you know what that only child thing that we said suddenly more details came out like I had just already pocketed it down but her reaction made me go back in there and pull some more out it was really interesting Mm. yeah that's so that also I'm that must be somehow related to being only child latchkey belonging is such a strong theme in in my life feeling sort of I've always kind of felt like an outsider a little bit everywhere part of belonging is you tend to diminish your experiences because you don't want to scare anybody away or be too much because that means you won't belong yeah Um, so I've, I've really dug into that This week is brought to you by Sprout Living. If you aren't familiar with Sprout Living, I have to tell you about their amazing plant-based protein powders. As you might know, I say I'm pretty active. I walk a lot, so much so that I'm, you know, pretty known as a pedestrian and their products really help me. I love them because they're delicious and they use really quality ingredients, not fake marketing quality ingredients, but they really use incredible ingredients exclusively and they don't use the unnecessary additives that many others on the market use so that means no gums no thickeners no natural flavoring and i learned actually that maybe you knew this but natural flavors aren't actually so natural after all 
you can Google it if you if you want to know more. So instead, Sprout Living only uses real, powerful superfoods, adaptogens, and nootropics, which is really wonderful because their protein blends are multifunctional. So that means it's more than just protein powder. This results in convenience, cost savings, and of course, less waste for the planet, which I really love. Their Epic Protein Pro Collagen Blend, for example, consists of ingredients that help boost the body's own natural production of collagen. And their Epic Protein Mindful Matcha Blend contains ingredients that help boost mental clarity, focus, and memory. I really love that. And you can taste the difference behind this level of thoughtfulness and purity. There's no weird aftertaste or obnoxious sweetness when you are just, you know, really eating whole foods. It's it's lovely. And I'm not kidding when I say they check a lot of boxes. Boxes I didn't even know were there, you might say. They're certified organic, plant-based, kosher, gluten-free, free of GMOs free of dairy, free of soy, free of nuts, and most importantly, third-party tested. And when it comes to something you drink daily, sometimes more than once a day even, you want to, you know, feel like it was picked for a purpose and that you're consuming something really special and will actually help your body in some way. And that's exactly what Sprout Living products do, which is why I'm partnering with them. I've honestly just, you know, never seen such consideration and attention to detail in products like these. So I feel really confident about recommending them to you. They have a bunch of different flavors, which makes it easy to find something that you'll love and easy to beat what they call blender boredom. There's the original unflavored blend, which is great because it can go with anything. You can even put it in a baked good, which I've been loving doing. There's the chocolate maca, which really tastes like chocolate milk. And there's a complete coffee blend that puts your favorite coffee shop to shame. Check them out and use code let it out for 20% off your order. Again, that's code let it out for 20% off your order. Thank you so much, Sprout. I'm really happy that you're here. What has helped you move through that? Honestly, letting my freak flag fly. Like, because childhood Courtney really didn't give a shit. <laughs> mm. You know, the child me was like a a wild cat. You know, I was um singing all the time, making art, making things. I was kind of probably I, I don't want to say obnoxious because that's kind of a, a mean word, but that's the closest word I could think to what I was. I was I was not I was unafraid, unfazed. I was completely myself. The more that I lean into that the freer I feel because I think at some point in my childhood, I realized that sometimes being yourself means that some people are going to not like that. And more often than not, it's because they can't be themselves. Somebody doesn't like you for you being yourself is because they actually feel contained. They feel caged. And so they want to contain you. I think obviously there's there's room to be yourself and still give space for everybody else. Finding that balance is 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 always going to be a challenge. The more that I become less afraid of being passionate and boldly creative, the more I feel free. And I think you know as we get older, it, it kind of inspires others to 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 be that and feel the same way. I think I've always I've always leaned in that 
that way in my creative world, but I'm trying to lean that way in my, my personal world too. Allowing space for people to be more themselves. Something about this kind of modern era, everybody's kind of afraid. There's a fear I sense in like the world. There's a lot of homogenization going on and everything across the board. People are afraid, and myself included at times in my life, of, of being bold, you know? It's really sad. It is. Yeah. What do you yeah. think will help with that? You know, other than you said of each person being more authentically themselves and open. Well, I, I've actually been reading the great Wendell Berry lately. I don't know if you're familiar with his work, but beautiful thinker. He has this, these essays called What Are People For? And I read this essay last night, actually, where he said, organize your own house. That's all you can do. And then let it be. He also says, pre that breath, that we're all part of the same creation. We're all adding to this collective consciousness. I think we have this great myth, this great story that one person knows the way or is a, a greater creator, greater person. It's this kind of capitalist story. The, the great person, the great one thing that's going to take us. But Wendell really distills it down to, no, we're all adding to this collective consciousness. We're all part of this creation. And so if you clean your own house, if you organize your own house and you let it be, people are going to come into that house and they're going to say, hey, it feels pretty nice in here. And maybe they'll do the same. And I think that is this feeling I've been having lately <laughs> of just wanting to really lean into that. I I really, really like that. Going back to your first few years as a musician, going around the Southwest with your friend, I'm curious, you know, where were you on this spectrum of being yourself versus trying to fit into to something? And if you could tell us a little bit more about that time, I know you talked about taking the Greyhound to play. And I've been on a Greyhound and have some memories that I know I'll never forget. So if there's mm -hmm. anything that sticks out to you from that time or just going back there a bit, contrasting to now and what we've been talking about. Well, I've always had this ambition to live a very colorful, story-filled life. I think that kind of led me to the Greyhound bus. One of the things as far as being myself, I found a way to truly be myself by traveling. And I found that was easy because it can be very abundant and beautiful and experience-filled, but it can be very surface level, which is not as painful, right? If you're just flittering around in places for moments, nobody ever truly can um, get super close to you if you're always yeah. <laughs> traveling. Um, it's a way to avoid intimacy. Kind, I've absolutely. done it to do that. <laughs> absolutely. And I, I was very um, tied to that uh ethos for a long time and and still am there's still parts of me that maybe always will be um and will kind of connect with that but i found that i was able to be myself fully because i didn't have to stay <laughs> and so i was like oh this is kind of a great like little loophole i found right i could just yeah, um, you're not searching for belonging <laughs> yeah exactly if i'm gone all the time nobody's going to like ask why i'm not here or wonder if I belong or any of that stuff. I'll just be gone and find belonging in small ways and all around the world. And so, yeah, I mean, I found this absolute love for adventure since I was young. And so I 
hopped on the Greyhound bus out of uh, pure curiosity. You know, I didn't really have any shows booked. I booked a couple on MySpace. I booked in, bust in the subway trains and train stations in New York. And I just kind of bumped around aimlessly for the last three years of my teenage years. Do you look back at that time now? You have this beautiful poem about nostalgia that I think is is perhaps my favorite of yours that I've read so far. And it's a topic that nostalgia, that oddly like focus comes up pretty often here. Do you consider yourself a nostalgic person in general? And are you nostalgic for that time or other times in the you know, near or far that stick out? I look at nostalgia like an occasional fever <laughs> uh, that I have been symptomatic of throughout my life. You know, I have periods of deep nostalgia, which is obviously that poem was born out of one of those periods. 20 and 21 was especially nostalgic for me. I had a lot to reflect on in my past. It felt like the sort of, I want to say, limbo of stepping from the inside to the outside of a doorway. It's like that in-between. Threshold, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, um, so yeah, I, I've definitely had fevers of nostalgia throughout my life. I tend to idealize daydream the past more than I do the future. But nostalgia, especially for the past, can be rose-colored glasses. It can have you idealizing things in a way that might be detrimental. Yeah. <laughs> At least in my own experience. <laughs> There's a Invisibilia episode about nostalgia. Have you heard that one? No. You listen to that? No, I have to. It's worth listening to because they talk about it as a as a it it was a disease from I'm gonna get all of the facts wrong actually, but I think oddly enough, Joshua Jackson the actor. Mm -hmm. Anyway, he he did the podcast and oddly we were talking about nostalgia and we were talking about divorced parents and he he talks about some parts of his childhood much much like you of like just certain bits of being nostalgic and he was saying similarly like when things go into delusion that's where it can be. Because before that conversation, I was sort of walking around like, I am so nostalgic. It's great. Like that's it's a wistful, beautiful part of life. And then I realized the way for whatever reason, the way he articulated it. And then that episode of Invisibilia that he recommended talked about sort of the downside of it, of even in the pandemic people, I think the reason it came up with him was because we were talking about how people look back on this thing he did when he was young so so fondly and especially in the pandemic people rewatching things from our youth and whatever and there's a beauty to that there's also a you know it, it's complex like anything there's there's a nuance and I'm and unpacking my feelings around it and yeah I'll, I'll send you the invisibilia episode it goes through the entire history of it it's worth listening to I would love to listen to that cuz yeah I think I, I like you I maybe romanticized what nostalgia <laughs> is or can become. And I think just like any feeling, you know, um, I, I, these days I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm aiming for more of a contentment than I am a, uh, a static joy or, or deep despair, you know, uh, the, those things, uh, can be delusional. It's hard to aim for as somebody who feels lost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <We'll say. laughs> but, yeah. Um, Trying to is uh, <laughs> trying to is is a nice a nice sort of aim. So, 
Yeah. It reminds me, you know, of, of Marley's work, right. Of getting to center, right. These high highs mm-hmm. and low lows. Like I think it's her most recent book was that's the title of it, getting to center and contentment over romanticism or nostalgia or really positive blissful emotions, you know, knowing that it's more like the tides and, and coming back to center. I mean, speaking, I think of big feelings, your, your last album, old flowers is this beautiful piece of art that w- was the result of arguably the the biggest of big feelings, which is breakups and heartbreak and ending your your long-term relationship. And it's it's incredible. I listened to it top to bottom twice this morning before this. Aww. And it's it's just, you know, it's so wonderful. And you gave a lot of interviews about that album when it when it came out. And now, you know, you're you're about to be on the the cycle of your new album, which you're you're slowly releasing. And I've been loving the 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 two singles and the the videos of that as well. But going back to old flowers, now we're a couple years out and and you're you're you are touring now. How does it feel singing those songs and thinking about those big feelings of a breakup. I know you're into astrology as well. And I too had a had a pretty big breakup in, in 2019. And it's Saturn return, you know, so it's yeah. like a, a big, <laughs> like, not, not shocking. Yeah. But thinking about how I feel about that breakup now, and if I had to, you know, go back into things I wrote about it in my journal at that time, it's totally different, but I'm just so interested in how, how it's feeling to you now. It was so interesting. Um, you know, Old Flowers, I think, will forever be such a time marker for me in a very specific time in my life where everything changed. The record where my life changed, not because of the record, just while I was making it, my whole life changed. It's funny to have made the record, had processed, basically had a year and a half, two years of processing what the record was dealing with, which is a long-term breakup, my first love, and ending that relationship that was so formative having to perform those songs years later because <laughs> I did that. We ended up remarkably finishing the Old Flowers tour, but it was a year after the album was released. So there was this great delayed effect of performing those songs in a time where I felt very different than what you know what I was singing. Something that I always feel connected to is you know, I think Lucinda Williams said this once, like once you've felt it, there's you, you can always draw from that well. It never goes away. You know, you don't have to continually put yourself in pain as an artist. Like if you're in tune, you can conjure that shit up really quick. <laughs> you know, it doesn't go away. Those feelings that that grief, the, the time spent, it's part of you. Um, and I think performing those i i got close to an impression of of what that time meant to me but i i once i get off stage um i'm in a different place now so i think it's it's that pondering whatever it is you're going through and relating it through that time on stage and then putting it asleep yeah i love i love what you mentioned that listen to williams said because I, I've heard before that feelings pass through us in about 90 seconds. If we feel them, it's the resistance where things get stuck. And so that, I guess that makes sense of you felt it when you were making it and you you let it pass through you and you can go back into it to conjure it for 
the art or the performance, but the actual feeling has been passed through you. Exactly. And in, in certain moments, like throughout my life, there will probably be times where I play some of those songs and it'll make me want to cry. And then other moments, I'll be thinking about what toast I'm going to make, what I'm going to make with my toast in the morning or whatever, you know, like <laughs> it's unfair to, I guess, of us to expect them to make us feel a certain way all the time because uh, we we change and we feel different things over the over days, too. So, yeah, you you said this of about breakups. I, I wrote down, you said you know, that's why heartbreak albums are so powerful and potent because most likely the artists went through a horrific heartbreak and you can feel their pain seeping through the speakers. And I feel that these sorts of experiences, as dark as they may be, shape us. It sounds so silly and earnest, but I, I mean it. it. It's it's a really beautiful process. <laughs> Not to keep bringing up Wendell Berry, but it's part of, you know, heartbreak is something that is very human. And I think that to be able to relay those feelings is, is uh, adding to the collective consciousness uh, in a way that is very cathartic, in a way yeah. to, to release those yeah. sorts of changes. So you said something else about, you know, this, this being your, your first long-term relationship. And I, I took a screenshot of this, thing I read that you said of this, you were, you said, you learn it's really hard to communicate and resentments build up pretty soon. And then you, you know, you were mentioning Brene Brown and and creating these stories, which now I'm realizing we, we kind of touched on, on earlier, but I think there's just so much to be learned in the first time you move through a, a heartbreak like that, or a really intense one where, you're realizing what it's like to be in a relationship and how challenging it is and how, you know, it's how uncertain and beautiful, you know, it's so many things at, at once. And I, I just think that album covered all of the things that I felt in my, my 2019 breakup. And it just, yeah, it really hit me hard. And, and I'm, I'm so happy you made that, that piece of art. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I mean, like as Cat Stevens sings and wrote, uh, first cut is the deepest. Yeah. And oftentimes when you grow up without a an example of what healthy love or what a relationship is even supposed to look like, it's going to be hard to not make a bunch of mistakes the first time around. And I, I think I said this in some other interviews, but I've, I really don't, I think we're, when our culture puts an emphasis on failure if relationships end and if anything, they're triumphs because they're like the greatest teachers, right? You know, when they do end, you most likely learned a shit ton about yourself and about the world. And so there's few asset frame it in that way, then it's beautiful. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You, you've mentioned the Jack Gilbert poem, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's my favorite. I just, I love that poem so much. It taught me so much about love and how to frame it. Yeah. The quick fire questions is usually what I what I end with, and we can make these somewhat somewhat quick if you if you want. But one thing that I I wanted to ask you is I always ask people or I often ask people their greatest lesson on conversation or a, a really good conversation they've had and maybe why. And with songwriting and it being a conversation, 
what makes a good conversation to you? And do you, do you think about that authenticity and being revealing and vulnerability is necessary for a good conversation? Because I've been thinking a lot about being cool and being mysterious is something that I've, I've tried for so long that just hasn't really worked for me. And when I've just decided like, oh, you're warm, you know, like that's, yeah. it's always gone better, you know? So where, like, yeah, where, where are you on that, you know, cool to mysterious spectrum? And if you wanted to just elaborate. I, I think that there's kind of this grating feeling to small talk that I've realized recently over the past couple years. I'm really good at small talk. I'm really good at keeping it short, mysterious, like you're saying, especially on tour, you know, you kind of just get into cycles of small talk because right. you meet so many people, you, you know, even if you didn't want it to be like that, it could accidentally become that way because of the nature of what we do. My ideal conversation is a one-on-one -on -one hang with a friend. Uh, and typically... I'm go from small talk immediately to something way deeper. And a lot of times that's puts off people. <laughs> but I I kind of I feel like, you know, I, I think there was this great TED talk actually. I can't remember if it is I probably you probably just look it up like TED Talk, small talk or something like that. But this person was just talking about I wish I could reference their name. I'm sorry I can't, but that this person was talking about how to avoid small talk. Is basically like you ask insane questions like right away, like, oh, were your parents married? Or like things that you would never think to ask somebody within the first five minutes of meeting somebody. Yeah. And I've been trying to like add that into my my like communication practice because it actually makes for a way more interesting conversation. And you get to know somebody in a deeper way, saying like, oh, looks like it's going to rain today is, is just over and over again is kind of boring. Not, yeah, it's boring. And, and uh, p humans are so much cooler, so much more complex, right? We're, we're pretty, we're pretty freaking cool. Like there's a lot of things underneath of our, our uh, pretenses, our, our surface level conversation that, that can be learned. And so, you know, I've been trying to be mindful about not just being like, Hey, how you doing? You know, just basic stuff. So a when script. I'm writing a, exactly a script, um, which I can fall into, but trying to be mindful of not doing that. Um, but as far as, uh, yeah, like my songs, I think I'm, I'm talking on that, that subterranean level. That's the kind of conversation that I want to have with people, something deeper, meaningful, revealing, well, you know, that's sort of my my goal with this show is that, you know, it's it's long enough that we can hopefully I often interview friends. I, I say friends who I know or friends who I haven't met yet. And I hope that it can become that or get to, you know, have moments of that where we are actually connecting. Right. Because I think what we're really talking about is when you're not talking about the weather or, you know, reading the script. Oh, what do you do? What do you, what do, you do? Okay. It's like, I don't know how much I feel connection, but I think what we're really craving is connection, which is why we're turning to distractions, right? Like our phones or whatever, you know, you have this song called rough around the edges. And I heard you say in your tiny desk concert, I think were so sweet how you, you said this and it was so quick, but you were just like, it implies a soft gooey center. And I really enjoyed that because we have this, this concept here of 
soft stories. And by we, I, I mean, I made it up and it's just this on this show. That's just me. But the goal of these conversations is to get to a soft story that's tender and gooey and the kind you, you maybe wouldn't tell in that script. And is there a conversation or a topic right now that you've been, you know, you're such a philosopher and is there something on your mind? You know, you mentioned Wendell Berry. Is there anything else that you've been contemplating or fascinated by or that you're curious about right now? A conversation in my daily life, just with my loved ones, that's been uh, coming up a lot, has been our pace and reintroducing this pace that going into 2020 was obviously very traumatic and shocking and there was a lot to be learned in that year. But I think one of the greatest teachers for me that year, that year was an incredible teacher. And it's because I saw the seasons change for the first time. I wasn't distracted by keeping up with the rhythm of of this current world that we're living in. Actually coming into this year, which has kind of been a year as, as full as any year pre-2020 in busyness, I've been uh, just thinking a lot about pace and how moments of, of contemplation, solitude, thought, listening to your own thoughts, walks, all these things are conducive to a healthy society um, in a lot of ways because people are able to show up as themselves in this full way and rather than show up depleted. You know, talk to a lot of friends who have canceled shows this year because they're overworked and uh, just people feeling that sort of re-entering phase has actually been a lot harder than I think a lot of people are maybe openly talking about. So I actually just, I put, put a poem up online recently about basically about this concept, just busyness and how I think it actually is, is pretty detrimental. I think it's very important to be ambitious, to, to work hard, to, to do all these things that are so valued. I think those are important, but also there should be like four hours of the day, three hours of the day where you are tuned into yourself only doing something for yourself. It's quiet. Oh God, there's so much I want to, I want to like relate to you on with this, but you know, I've been very, very slow with everything I've done my, my whole life. It's something too that my thirties aren't what I thought they were going to be. And I don't even know what I thought. I don't even know where I'm going with that, actually. But just time. I, I, I really deeply relate to that mm-hmm. and and agree. And I think there's so much about I tutor these these kids. It's it's you know, eight to six, it's Dave Eggers program or whatever. And I I go there in Echo Park and at the end we have to do homework and kind of all this like boring stuff. But at the end, the program like has I think it's half an hour. It's called decomp time. And mm-hmm decompression time. Uh, And I think about that all the time. I'm like, that is the, that's the most important part of this. You know, usually I'm like Mm. playing operation with the kids or the other day I had to like build a robot. That was really hard, but you, you know, it's like, we all need the quiet time. We all need decomp time at the end of our day. And usually we're not aware when we're in it. And it's, it's just the, the slowness allowed us to have more decomp time. And I think we're all craving it maybe without knowing it. Yeah, I think it makes us better members of society. And and I will say that like the, the saddest part to me is that there's a large part of our society and a large amount of people in the world who 
can't afford decomp time. And exactly. Yeah. So sad because imagine how many great, beautiful thinkers, farmers that are out there, you know, these these kind of working class folk that do so much for our society that can't even, you know, have a moment to themselves to truly process all that they're working towards and for. And so, yeah, I've just, I've been thinking about that and it's, it's true for everybody, you know, cause we're all part of it, but, but really in, in these kind of musicians, lower income families and, you know, it's just, I don't think it's how we're actually designed. <laughs> I don't think we're yeah. meant to be working as much as like the, this modern capitalist world wants us to be. I I often think about this with even just my mom, like uh, so many of the, I think about it every day, like the way I spend my day or getting to have decomp time. Right. Or that wasn't even conceivable. Right. Like she was, had to do all the jobs and take care of me. And it's such a, and there are so many people to your point, it, it's such a privilege. And thank you for acknowledging that and, and saying that. Yeah. Same. Our mothers didn't, we're not, um, we're not gifted that, that same time. Yeah. It's hard to, it's hard to show up fully, uh, for yourself, really, if you're always working, <laughs> you're working 12 hour days, there's really just no time. And, and your, and your, de- your decomp time ends up becoming like television or something, right. you know, like something that just is numbing <laughs> because, you know, there's not enough time. So yeah, yeah it becomes a cycle, right. Of, of, uh, things that don't feed us in, in ways that are beneficial. So, yeah. Yeah. Cause your capacity is, is, diminished and your ability for concentration and yeah yeah that, i mean it could be a whole bigger conversation and you know <laughs> yeah. maybe someday we'll have it but yeah. i'm i'm becoming speaking about time I, I get like this at the end when it's so good where i'm just like i want to hold on to it forever <laughs> and um i i will ask you if you if you have one more second three questions you can just say the like the first thing that that comes to mind and then um I will let you go, but this has been incredible. And I, I, I really appreciate you and your work and and being here. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for the thoughtful conversation. Okay. Greatest lesson on writing or any sort of writing practices that, that you have. I'm curious if you keep a journal. Mm, Patience. Greatest lesson on romantic love, dating, heartbreak, openness, don't fool yourself. It's always hard work, but it's worth it. Mm. Greatest lesson on intuition and hearing a connection to something. Your intuition is, if it's loud enough, it's generally pretty correct. (laughs) Mm. What do you do when you're in a rut or having a bad day? How do you pivot? Walk. (laughs) love that what are you most excited about what are you wanting what are you into what are you wanting to to talk about most i'm most excited about creating seeing where where this kind of creative world takes me next is always something i feel hope and excitement for i'm also excited for deep slow time spent with loved ones Mm, i love that well thank you so much for for taking some time with me, a lot of time with me. And is there anything that you wish that I would have asked about that I didn't that you want to talk about? I feel, I feel we've covered a lot of ground. I feel, feels great. Good, good. Well, 
the the name of the show is is let it out so hopefully you, you let out what you wanted to and and we end by letting out a a deep breath so are are you down to do that with me yes of course okay inhale let it out <sighs> thank you so much courtney this was incredible and are you still on the road can people Come see you. I think you're going to be performing with Nico Case. Did you see that on Instagram? Yes. Playing with Nico Case in Chicago. And this fall, I'm doing a whole US tour. So I should be coming to a city near you. Oh, incredible. You're going to be in LA yeah. then, I'm, I'm sure. Yes, definitely. Okay, cool. I'm going to I'm gonna come see you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a ticket. And I would love to, to see you and maybe get to meet you then. I would love that. Yeah, come on out. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. That was my episode with Courtney Marie Andrews. Listen to her music, support her, buy her record, and go see her on tour. I'm going to try to see her when she's in LA because I love talking to her and I love her music and I'm really stoked for this new album, Loose Future, and her previous albums I also really love. And I'm sure you love her by now too because you just heard her talking for a while and she's truly great another quick announcement in process is restarting mid-october so i'd love to have you also no pressure but if that sounds interesting to you it's for people who are in process it's for people like me who feel like they have a lot of ideas and somehow not a lot of time or would just like support and collaboration and connection and community around making things or around becoming better at being yourself being more productive and it's a class it's a workshop there's information in the link in the show notes and you can sign up for the waitlist i'm going to keep the group really really small i don't know if i'm ever going to do it again and i'm not saying that should be dramatic i just don't i didn't think i was going to do it again and now i am so feel free to sign up i would love to have you or answer any questions if you are curious and spiraling my second podcast that i co-host with serena wolf about mental health is back in season for season four which is wild but if you haven't listened to that show and you're curious the link to listen is in the show notes episode one just came out and by the time you listen to this episode two is around the corner i'm so grateful that you're here if you like this show or you found it entertaining or interesting share it with a friend that really helps and you can always review it on iTunes. So embarrassing to ask, but you know, here we are. All right. Love you. So grateful that I get to do this and that I'm back. And I hope that you are doing well wherever you are and maybe feeling, you know, the change of seasons in a way that feels positive to you. Okay. Bye-bye.